Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grow Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, in just a little bit, we're all going to have the opportunity this morning to come to the Lord's table. Love how we celebrate communion here in this church. It's a wonderful time. Each, each time we gather together and we come, we partake of the bread and the cup. There's a couple things I want to point out to you this morning as we prepare for communion. And then we'll pray. The first is this. Uh, Easter is just now a little over a month away. And we'll have some of our biggest crowds of the year at Easter. We're always excited about that. And we look forward to that day of worship. We will celebrate the sacrament of communion on Easter Sunday. So because of that, we're planning ahead. And what we want to do is we want to give more options for people to participate in communions in terms of not just the front rail, but some rails in the back. So I'm going to show you a map right now. Today, when we take in the sacrament of communion, there are some new options, and they're in the back there, okay? We still have our gluten-free option, as you can see. We still have our alcohol-free option. In fact, we have two of those, and you can see where they're positioned in the front here. And then you'll see those little lines that look like dash marks across the pews. Those are the line, that's the line of demarcation, folks. So if you, if you, if you are uh, on one side of that line, you're going to go to the back um, uh, rails. We're going to have ushers who will help you get there, and then everyone else is going to come forward. We're going to make it really easy. Follow the usher. Remember that. Follow the usher, and you'll be doing the right thing. Looking forward to that today, and the reason we're doing it is we're anticipating a big crowd in Easter. We want to be ready today as a trial run for that, and I think it's going to go great. Speaking of communion, one last thing I would say about it is this. Um, if any of you have ever had the opportunity to serve communion at the rail here, you know that it is one of the greatest privileges. Talk about being ministered to as you minister. Wow, it is a powerful, powerful experience to take and take the elements, the bread and the cup, and to put them in the hands of a brother or sister in Christ, what a privilege. We're looking for more people to do this. In fact, I would like to add about 10 to our team. So if you're someone who's a member of Christ Church at Grove Farm, if you're active in at least one ministry in the church, we'd like to talk to you if you're interested, and we will train you and equip you and get you ready to be a part of our communion serving team. You can write that in a comment card. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to, to John, um, who, who, uh, Poister, who oversees our communion servers. We'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, this morning. And yes, we do anticipate the opportunity to come to the table and to celebrate Christ, to remember his death, his resurrection, and also to remind one another that he will come again. Father, as we open your word, prepare us to experience Christ afresh this morning. Would you teach us from your word, God, in the deepest parts? May we be more devoted to you because of what we learn through the proclamation of your word today. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, it's finally here. 
fish fry season. We are in the midst of it, everyone. I'm sure you're excited. Um, if you haven't heard, uh, you can draw about a 15-mile radius around here, and you can find at least 50 places where you can get some fresh fried fish on Fridays. I just said that. That was pretty good, right? I got through that without stumbling. You can do that. And that, of course, means that it's Lent. It's Lent. So I want to give you a quick history, very quick history of Lent. Okay, so Lent is one of the oldest observed uh, events on the Christian calendar, on the Christian church calendar. It started back in 325 AD with the Council of Nicaea. Now the Council of Nicaea, this is the same thing that brought us the Nicene Creed that we proclaim here on a monthly basis. And the Nicene Creed resulted in this, this, this challenge to the church to fast for 40 days. A 40-day fast. That was what was presented by the Council of Nicaea to the church in 325 AD. Now, since that time, through that, that throughout history, uh, things have taken place. The church has added some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual practices to round out Lent and make it even more full. You know, this idea of Lent at first wasn't called Lent. It was called the quadrissima, which is a Latin word, which I can't pronounce really well, that means 40th, quadrissima. Some of you Latin you experts out there could tell me how to pronounce it after church. Or you have the word um, thessalaconta. That's another big word. It's Greek, and it means 40. And so this idea of a 40-day journey has always been inherent in the season of Lent. Now again, there have been some practices added throughout history. For instance, in the 600s, Gregory the Great instituted the, the marking on foreheads with ashes to symbolize repentance. That's when that came into practice. In the 800s, we saw fish was introduced to the diet during Lent. They were fasting, eating nothing. And finally, the priest came along and said, no, they can have fish. The people can have fish during Lent. And if you want to read up in the history, it's really interesting. You'll see that it had something to do with warm-blooded animals versus cold-blooded animals. Very interesting. That's where we get our fish fries today, in the 800s with the church introducing that. The, the name Lent actually comes from an old English word, which means to lengthen. Lengthen, Lent. And, and, and what it refers to, of course, is the fact that during this time of year, the days are getting longer. The days are lengthening. But not only that, it also refers to the fact that Lent is a time when we lengthen or extend our relationship with God. That's what it's meant to be. A time when we enrich our relationship with God. So here's the heart of it. The heart of Lent is this. Lent is meant to prepare us to experience Jesus. That's the purpose of this season. Lent is meant to prepare us to experience Jesus. Now, one of the passages that we look at historically during the season of Lent, especially during this first week of Lent, is the passage found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which Robbie just read to us, and that depicts the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The temptation of Jesus. This begs an obvious question for all of us. The obvious question is this. How are we doing with temptation? How are you doing with temptation? I mean, for me, it's a constant struggle. In fact, we could say this is true about temptation. Everyone, everyone faces temptation. Doesn't matter if you're old or young. 
doesn't matter if you're male or female, every single person, yes, even believers, we all experience, we all face temptation. For instance, if you're a student, you might be tempted to cheat in school to get ahead. But temptation doesn't stop when you leave school, of course. You might be tempted to cheat to get ahead financially. If you're in business, you might be tempted to go outside the healthy boundaries of sexuality to fulfill your own desires. You simply might be tempted to just bow to the the God of selfishness in your life. We're all tempted. Everyone faces temptation. So the big question is this, what do we do about temptation? What do we do with this? Well, Matthew chapter 4, I believe, gives us some insight to that. So turn with me again. We're going to look at it again. I'm going to read you a few verses here. We're going to talk about the scriptures, and let's see what the Lord has to say to us. Starting in verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Okay, let's stop there and talk about the setting, the wilderness. Now, you might remember from the Old Testament that the Israelites famously wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They wandered in the the wilderness. And then you might recall this, that the Old Testament prophet, Elijah, he floundered in the wilderness. He struggled in the wilderness. You see, the wilderness was a place that was thought to be the, the scariest, meanest, darkest place for the Jews. They believed that it was rot with demons, which makes it really interesting when we learn that John the Baptist lived where? In the wilderness. So here we see Jesus going into the wilderness. And again, we always have to turn the scriptures toward ourselves. And let me ask you this question. Are you in the wilderness? I mean, are you wandering in your life in some way? Are you floundering in some capacity in your life? Are you in a wilderness moment even today? If you are, there's hope for you. There's hope for us. Because Jesus has stood up and he has endured the wilderness. Jesus Christ has faced the wilderness. And this is what we're reading about right here. So if you are in the wilderness, this is for you. Verse 2. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you can see where the Council of Nicaea got this, right? Where after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Surprise, surprise. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God is what the tempter says. That's what the enemy says. That's what Satan says to Jesus. If you really are the son of God. You know, if we were to flip the page to John 3, we see there that that Jesus was baptized by that guy who lived in the wilderness, John the Baptist. And when he was baptized, the spirit like a dove descended on Jesus And there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son. God said, this is my son. And who am I? I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Made this great declaration. The spirit of God saying, this is my son. Now, isn't it interesting? When we read this passage, Jesus is immediately sent into the wilderness. And what's the very first thing that the enemy does? He questions what God just told him. God just said, you are my son. This is my son. 
And what does the enemy say? Well, if you really are God's son, he questions his identity. He wants Jesus to question his identity. You know, Jesus, fully God, fully human. He's digging into the human element of Jesus and saying, if you really are the son of God. You know, there's pertinence to us in this message. We live in a time when people are struggling with identity. People are confused about who we are. This is the oldest trick in the enemy's playbook. He loves to get people to question and have confusion about their identity. This is what he tried to do to Jesus. So listen, if anyone out there struggling with identity in any capacity, hear this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of God through him. Remind yourself of that. The enemy wants to confuse you. You're a son or a daughter. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. Don't allow the enemy to twist and contort the identity that God has given to us through Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep on going. So, so he questions identity. They're in the wilderness. We jump back in in verse 4. And, and as he's asked this question, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift uh, you up in their hands so that, not, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. We're seeing an example, we're seeing a pattern here. Whenever Jesus is tempted by the enemy, what does he do? You've heard this before. He refutes the enemy with scripture. He refutes the enemy with scripture. What he is doing is he is calling on the word of God, the promises of God, specifically in this case from Deuteronomy 8. All of the, the, the ways that Jesus refutes the enemy with Scripture come from the same passage, Deuteronomy 8. You might want to write that down and study it this week. This is where the enemy digs in, and this is how Jesus responds. And what does this tell us? It tells us that we need to fill our hearts and mind with biblical truth. We need to fill our hearts, fill our minds with God's Word. In fact, we're going to help you with this. On the way out today, you are going to receive as a gift from the church— a little booklet here called Bible Promises for You. And in this booklet, you'll see that it's arranged thematically and there are scriptures under each theme. Okay, so for instance, let's just say that um, you are struggling with, oh, here's a good one, patience. Is anyone out there struggling with patience? Probably not, probably not. But if you are struggling with patience, you can look up patience in this book and here's what you can do. You can pray the scriptures that are written here. That's what Jesus did. Jesus gave us this example. We need to fill our hearts, fill our minds with biblical truth. Jesus set this example for us. We're going to give you a tool to use this, this Lent as you pray and as you seek God. So grab one of these. If you already have one, give one to a friend. It's a great resource. Again, a gift from the church. Really grateful that people have given so these can be given to you. So Jesus gives us an example of refuting scripture, uh, refuting the, the temptations of the enemy with scripture. Let's close out the passage. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world 
and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, again, from Deuteronomy 8, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. So now, I want to expose a couple of things here that we can learn from this passage. You see, this passage exposes for us what I'm calling three Three uh, functional philosophies that each of us are tempted to succumb to on an everyday basis. Three functional philosophies. The three functional philosophies are this. Materialism, utilitarianism, and hedonism. Let's look at all three, and I believe we see evidence that they're outlined here in the Scriptures. These are three ways, three functional philosophies that the enemy is tempting us with here today in our world. The first one, let's talk about materialism. Okay, materialism. Um, If you look at Matthew 4, what, what does the enemy say to Jesus? He says, if you turn these stones to bread... If you turn these stones to bread, it's materialism. Here's a a simple definition of materialism. Being obsessed with stuff. Is that simple enough for you to boil it down? Materialism. Being obsessed with stuff. Cars, houses, clothes, food, money. The obsession, the pursuit of stuff. I came across a quote by the great church uh, father, theologian, Martin Luther. Here's what Luther says. He says, take a look at your own heart. Take a look at your own heart. And you will soon find out what has stuck to it and where your treasure is. It is easy to determine whether hearing the word of God, living according to it, and achieving such a life gives you as much enjoyment and calls forth as much diligence from you as does accumulating and saving money and property. Don't you... Don't you Find yourself convicted by that. What has stuck to your heart? Take a look at it. You know, someone, we were talking between services and we were talking about this, because I've described this as an American problem, but I was reminded of something very true. It's a human problem. Whether you're American or not, it may be intensified in some ways in our culture, but no matter where you come from, this is a human problem. We struggle with materialism. Let me give you a strong scripture. Jot this down. Luke 12, 15. Here's what Jesus says about materialism as he addresses it. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The enemy came and tempted Jesus with materialism. Hey, don't you just want some bread? Don't you just want to fill your belly? And he is still seeking to tempt us in the same way today with materialism. It's very prevalent in our world. Certainly in our culture. So here's what I would say to us. Lent is the perfect time to confront our shared human propensity to prioritize the temporal, earthly things. Things are going to fade away over the eternal. It's a great time for us to reprioritize our lives and say, you know what, I'm going to focus on the eternal and not the temporal. Materialism is the first functional philosophy that we see reflected in this passage. Let's look at the second one. The second one is utilitarianism. Okay, utilitarianism. Now, here's how we see this reflected in the passage. Whenever the enemy says, hey, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down, and God will send angels to attend to you, to save you. Well, this is what utilitarianism is. It is using God for our own purposes. 
using God for our own purposes. What's that look like? Well, God, help me to pass this test. God, uh, give me perfect health. God, give me the career I want. We see this reflected in our prayers probably. If you really think about it and examine yourselves, we tend to focus on the results of our prayers, the results, the end game, what we're asking God to provide in our lives, the grade we want to get, being able to live our lives unhindered, the, the career that, again, we want to have. We tend to focus our prayers on that end. But our relationship with God, the creator of the universe, is the point of our prayers, not just the end result of which we would like to receive. Utilitarianism is a trap for us. Another strong scripture with us. For the time will come, this is 2 Timothy 4.3, you could jot this one down also. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, to suit their own desires. I wonder that if you, like me sometimes, find yourself creeping into turning to God just so I can have my own wants and desires fulfilled. Is that the way to approach God? It's a temptation. The enemy tempted Jesus this way. Again, he tempts us in the same way. So here's what Lent provides an opportunity for. Lent is the perfect time to move away from the tendency of using God and move toward the gift of simply knowing him. That's what Lent provides an opportunity for, for us to truly lean into the beauty of knowing God, not wanting something from him, but just beholding who he is. So we have materialism, you see that. We have utilitarianism, you see that, using God for our own purposes. Third one, hedonism, hedonism. Let's take a look at hedonism. Uh, Matthew four, we see it reflected in this way. Satan takes Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, listen, you can have all this. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. This can all be yours. You can have all the riches of the world. You can have everything this world has to offer is what the enemy says. Of course, Jesus refutes this with scripture. And, and we see that, that hedonism is the relentless pursuit of pleasure. The relentless pursuit of pleasure. Again, I would suggest that, yeah, this is a human thing. It's certainly an American thing. And we, we build our lives. We construct our lives so that we have more pleasure. And, and what does it look like? Hey, eat whatever you want. Buy whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Our culture facilitates and even encourages a hedonistic perspective of life. But if you've gone down this road, which I would suggest many of us have, this, this relentless pursuit of pleasure, here's what you know. There is a paradox inherent in hedonism. There's the paradox of hedonism. And what's the paradox of hedonism? It's this, pleasure seems to go sour after a while. Pleasure seems to go sour after a while. Maybe you've eaten too much candy in your life at a certain point. Ever do that? At first, it's great, right? Loving these Reese's Pieces. This is awesome. Give me more. And eventually, 
you get a tummy ache. Your stomach starts to bother you. And then your teeth start to rot out. That'll show you kids, don't eat too much candy. And then you break out in acne, pimples over your face. We see the paradox of hedonism. The things start to go sour after a while. Let me tell you something. There is a pleasure. There is a pleasure that does not go sour. You might refer to this. It's referred to as Christian hedonism. Here's what that is. It's the understanding that the Christian life should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God. We could call this Christian hedonism, that somehow we look and say, no, yes, we want pleasure, we want joy, but that only comes in light of knowing, understanding, and following Christ, and knowing God. There's another quote I want to share with you, another great Christian thinker, C.S. Lewis. Lewis says this, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you lost in, in the pursuit, the relentless pursuit of the pleasures that this world has to offer? Things that will come up empty. Things that will ultimately leave you with a stomach ache, so to speak, that will grow sour. There is a pleasure that will not grow sour, and it's in Christ. It's in Christ. Lent is the perfect time. Lent is the perfect time to renew my pursuit, our pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction in Christ. In Christ. We can find that. Here's a statement I would put before you. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So if you find yourself tempted by hedonism, the relentless pursuit of pleasure, everything I want to eat, everything I want to do, everything I want to buy, there is a way that you could pursue pleasure, true pleasure, lasting pleasure, and it comes through Jesus. And again, Lent is the perfect time to renew your pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction in Christ. Now, those are the three functional philosophies. You have materialism and utilitarianism and hedonism. You see them reflected in the scriptures. But the question still remains, what do we do about the temptation? How do we defeat temptation in our lives? Should we just try harder? Maybe we should eat more fish. Maybe that's how we can defeat temptation. It's none of those things, of course. I'd make a suggestion to you that the way that we can defeat temptation in our lives is through surrender. Surrender. That's what we see Jesus doing in Matthew chapter 4 here. He is surrendering himself by fasting to the Father. I'll put, give you a bottom line. This is perhaps a mantra. For those in the wilderness, for anyone who's walking through this Lenten season, the mantra is this, that, that I will surrender in the wilderness. I will surrender in the wilderness. You can write that one down too. 
You might wonder, well, how do I surrender? I'll give you a very practical way, again, that we see in Matthew 4 outlined for us. Fasting. Fasting. Fasting is a practical way that you can surrender during Lent. And we don't do this as a good work. We don't, we don't, we don't fast as, as a way of trying to make up for the things we've done wrong for our sin. No, not at all. The reason we fast, the posture we take as we fast is this. God, I want you. God, I need you. God, I am hungry for you more than I'm hungry for food of this earth. Surrender, and we could do that by fasting. Something I would tell you is that when we fast, we exclude something. This is the principle. We exclude something from our crowded lives in order to add margin so that we can actually hear from God. Sometimes in order to see God clearly, to know him more, to hear him clearly, we have to exclude something from our lives. This is what fasting does for us. We exclude something from our lives, in this case food, so that we might add margin so that we can hear from God. So what if you were to take one lunch this week and turn your plate upside down and spend your time praying, reading the scriptures, maybe fellowshipping with another believer. What if you were to do that? What, what if you were to get really crazy and take an entire day during this Lenten season, an entire day during this week, and, and skip your meals so that you might connect with God? Your way of saying, God, I want you. God, I need you. God, I'm hungry for you. This is the ancient practice and tradition of Lent, and the reason we do it is so that we can draw close to God, so that we can experience Christ in a more powerful way. I will surrender in the wilderness. You want to defeat temptation in your life. Here's a way. Surrender yourself, and a way you could surrender is through fasting. You know, it's really interesting that the wilderness is contained in the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. There are many, many, many prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament, and the wilderness is actually contained in them. I want to read you a part of one. This is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. I'm just going to read you a couple of these verses. I'm going to skip down to verse 3. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a prophecy about Jesus, a foretelling of who he is and what he would do when he came to earth. And what does it say? That he will come into the wilderness. And he will conquer the wilderness. Do you find yourself in the wilderness? Do you find yourself wandering, floundering to any degree? Perhaps your whole life has been lived in the wilderness. Maybe all of your life has felt like you've just been lost, that you've been wandering. You've been looking for a way out. Well, listen, the way out is through Jesus. Jesus has conquered the wilderness. And how did he conquer the wilderness? By defeating this enemy, 
for all time at the cross of Jesus Christ. His body broken, his blood shed. Jesus has defeated the wilderness for you and for me, my friends. And you have an opportunity to respond to this today. We're gonna pray here in a moment, and then you'll have an opportunity to come forward, if you're back there, to go back. And what are you going to do? You are gonna come to the table, and you're going to partake of his body, the bread that symbolizes it, and his blood, the cup that symbolizes it here. And as you do, it's a reminder to say, Jesus, thank you for conquering the wilderness for us. Thank you for conquering the wilderness to me. I believe in you. Help me, God, to defeat temptation in my life through your strength, through your spirit. Lord, I seek you. Don't you want more of God in your life? Lent is the perfect time for all of this. It's more than just a season for fried fish, my friends. It's a season for us to truly experience Christ in a powerful way. The opportunity is here. Will you lean into God? Let's pray. Oh God, we do come before you and we thank you so much for Jesus who has conquered the wilderness. Thank you for Christ who stood toe-to-toe with the enemy, refuted him with scriptures, and came out the other end victorious, Lord. Thank you for Jesus who faced down death on the cross so that we could truly live and find our way ultimately out of the wilderness of life. God, would you help me and my friends to defeat temptation in our lives through the power of Christ. Would you help us, God, to be people who live only for him. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have bowed to materialism and and hedonism, Lord, seeking pleasure in our lives, or we've just sought to use you for our own purposes, God. Forgive us for these things. Help us, Lord, through your strength and your might to resist temptation. And I pray, God, that we would take all the measures possible so we might do it. Perhaps even some here this week will fast. Perhaps there are those who will say, you know, I'll surrender in the wilderness. As my way of defeating temptation, I'm going to surrender to the Lord and seek you, Lord. More than I need food, I need you. I'm hungry for you. Father, as we come to the table, we're hungry. We desire, Lord, to partake of this sacred meal. And though it's physically small, it is spiritually huge. I pray, Lord, you would fill us with the presence of Christ as we partake together as a church. Thank you, God, for conquering the wilderness. Help us, Father, as we face our personal wilderness moments through the power of Christ to have true life. We pray all this in his powerful name. Amen.